This is the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of October 18th. I'm your host, E. Swab, Derek Kessinger. Joining me today is Kevin Kovac, Kyle McFadden, and we got a special guest today. Thomas Pope uh, spent a retired after 41-year riding career at the Fayetteville Observer. Uh, he was mostly did the motorsports riding there. He covered Fayetteville Motor Speedway, obviously. Very close there. And also different NASCAR events as well. And then since retiring from that, he's been writing features for Speedway Illustrated. Thomas, good to, good to have you on the show today. Thanks. I appreciate it. It's good to see all you guys, especially Kevin, who I used to run into occasionally when he worked with the Outlaws. They come to town. So last Saturday night, early Sunday morning, we lost a true legend in our sport, uh, Freddie Smith, who had a short battle with leukemia, uh, passed away. The Southern Gentleman, five-time Dirt Track World Champion uh, winner. Kovac, we kind of discussed it on Sunday morning, just the legacy of Freddie Smith. So we'll start with you. Uh, Just kind of shook the dirt late model world a little bit. Everybody had so much great things to say about the guy. Class act, thousands of wins. I think it was like, what, 785 or nearly 800 career feature wins and just dirt late mile racing. Uh, we, tr- we truly lost an icon in the sport. Oh yeah. It, it's, this is a, this is a guy who, uh, you know, he's, he's ranked if not in just the top 10, maybe the top five, maybe the top three. I mean, it's, it's uh, he's one of the all time greats. He was on a little bit different timeline, I guess you could say of like a uh, Scott Bloomquist or, or Billy Moyer, you know, he, like he, he was probably 10 years old. He was 10 years older than Billy Moyer and, you know, about 16 older than Bloomquist. So he never really got to race in this, this current, like two national, big national, full-fledged national tour, um, you know, kind of situation with dirt late model racing. Uh, by time he started, he ran a Luke Soul Series a little bit towards the end of his career, but that was also, you know, when he was getting towards 60 years old and older, uh, you know, it was like toward, and towards the end, he wasn't in his prime anymore. Um it would have been neat to see him actually get to race like against these guys right at the same age, kind of a little bit different era, but he was good in every, every kind of era that he raced in. That's what I've been told by everybody I've talked to. Like it didn't matter what kind of car he drove, what kind of technical advance it was made. And this Freddie Smith would still be a winner. And that's why people thought he would, you know, if, if he would have been still racing now and his, you know, and uh, he would have been able to, he were able to figure out like the cars as they, as they change today. Um, he was just a great one. Five time dirt track world championship winner. Uh, that's basically that that's really what he was most known for. That was his most identifiable race. Uh, obviously he also won the dream twice first dream in, in 1994 and never got that darn world 100. He come close a couple times, a few times, probably more than a couple times. And, uh, he had, he had told me a few, four years ago, that was one that thing that he wished he could have gotten, but, uh, there's no debating how, uh, his, his, his talent, his, his record, his performance record, his resume, it's really good. And, and, and that Southern general nickname he had, everyone I've talked to says that was like the most appropriate nickname anyone could ever have, because he really was that he was not a guy that was going to go run anybody over. He was not a guy that was going to, uh, you know, argue and, and, and fight after races. If something was wrong to him, he's always going to hand up professionally and uh, really a, a guy that's a role model, like for what a race car driver, what you want a race car driver to be. Yeah, no doubt about that. Thomas, uh, I tweeted out earlier today and I kind of said it to Kovac when we had our chat on Sunday that for us Midwesterners, it was kind of like Babe Ruth in like the 1919 19- like ni- early 1900s to like 1930s, like you didn't really get to see him play, but you just heard all these stories about just this legend out there. Uh, for me, the only time I got to see him was at the World 100, and that was one time a year. Some people never got to see him. He came to the Midwest very rarely, but you just knew the name Freddie Smith just because of you know winning the Dirt Late Model Dream, winning the Dirt Track World Champion. Like he was just larger than life and just kind of like, 
from the movie Sandlot, heroes are remembered, but legends never die. And I feel like we'll, we'll get that with Freddie Smith. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is now felt with Motor Speedway started out as an asphalt track and about 79 or 80, somewhere in there, they uh, took the asphalt up and, and put dirt on it. And that's when he started showing up around here on a pretty regular basis. And um, I can remember when NDRA came to town, dating myself already, uh, he he won one of those, you know, and I mean, there was the big time names back then that you only read about in the trade papers, you know, like Southern Motor Racing and that kind of thing, because you had Jeff Purvis and uh, Rodney Combs and those kind of got Leon Archer, all those old guys that uh, a lot of people have just read about, but uh, I was fortunate enough to get to see. And the NDRA race down here in 1980, um, Freddie won that. And that seemed like the, the most big money race you can imagine. I mean, you pay 3000 to win. <laughs> it seems like such a big deal at the time. Um, but he, he was all of that. He was very smooth, um, never had run-ins with anybody. And, and one of those guys I truly never heard anyone say a bad word about. Uh, you know, he'd come in and he'd just whoop your tail and leave town. And all you could do is go, he did it again. <laughs> And he take off with the money, and uh, his son Jeff was a lot like that too. Jeff won a ton of races at Fayetteville in the last twenty years or so, and I think I actually wrote one time after one of his Carolina Clash wins. Uh, you know, he spent so much time racing in Fayetteville, he should probably have to pay taxes on all that prize money he won uh, to Cumberland County because he just took so much of it out of here. But. You know, it was Freddie was one of his first ones I remember being what seemed like a, a big time dirt racer because, you know, he would he moved to Baton Rouge at one point and was racing, you know, that that car out of there. He would be in Knoxville to work for somebody, you know, he'd be back at Kings Mountain. Um he he moved around and went where people paid him good money to go drive and uh he was one of the first dirt pros I think I ever heard of. Yeah, it's just truly iconic and then uh also Kyle McFadden, you're kind of like the outsider looking in a little bit. You're a little little younger than all of us. You said you only got to see him race once, but you had to notice the impact Freddie Smith had in this sport. I mean, people talk about him being on the Mount Rushmore of dirt late model racing. He's definitely, you think Freddie Smith, you think of the Dirt Track World Championship, just like Kovac said. And, and the week leading up to the dirt track, you know, this happened, but the legacy he's leaving behind us is truly amazing. Yeah, for sure. And I think like when you look at just the reaction from from fans, from everybody in the industry, you know, it's just hearing the stories there from Thomas and Kevin and reading Kevin's old stuff and, you know, um, reading Thomas's stuff, too. And and for like I always knew of Freddie Smith. Right. But like I'm 27 years old, so um, I'm old enough to to understand you know who he is, but not but I'm too young to 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 really know the true impact that he's had, other than the fact of just looking around and, and seeing just how he's being remembered, right? And 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 the stories that are being told, and it's like how many other drivers in the in the history of, of our sport have left a legacy behind in, in, in the way that he did, honestly, um, you know, there's not many, right. You guys can probably speak more to that, you know, like who else can come in comparison to, to just the way that not only, you know, he won races and just himself as a driver, but the way that he handled himself and the way that he conducted himself and he earned, I think it's just like, like, and I wrote this in Fast Talk, and it's like, you wonder, because like dirt late model racers, by and large, are some of the most friendly, outgoing, approachable drivers in American motorsports. And you have to think like how much of that is because of Freddie Smith, you know, just like paving the way, being the gold standard for that, and um, really setting that benchmark in dirt late model racing. And uh, yeah, I mean, his numbers speak for itself. I mean, he's, you, you have to say like Mount Rushmore, if I had to say a four, obviously Bloomquist, 
Billy Moyer, could say Jonathan Davenport, and, uh, you know, Freddie Smith, maybe in that top four, the drivers specifically. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 and it's, it's, it's cool to just sit back and as an outsider, so to speak, um, and kind of soak it all in and see the picture being painted of his whole career, a career that I wish I saw more of, but it's really cool that you guys had the opportunity to really see that firsthand. And so, um, Thomas and Kevin more so. Yeah. Yeah. Just Kovac story with Gary Winger, uh, just says about the hall of uh, famer, uh, Freddie Smith, just, we lost a hell of a good human. You know what I mean? Freddie Smith, the race car driver. That's easy to talk about. Freddie Smith, the person, that's what gets me broke up. Just, you know, even at the racetrack or just hanging out with them off the racetrack, just how many people he just impacted their life in dirt late model racing. And Kovac, uh, we even just the bazooka double zero car. That's arguably one of the most famous race cars that we've ever had in our sport. And like, yeah, Freddie Smith, Southern gentleman, but that car was just right up there, especially like a kid like me who had to go get the little die cast. Like that was a pretty famous race car. And then we've seen people in the past at Eldora uh, just this year too, with Carson Ferguson had the bazooka car out. Yeah, that's uh it's, it's it's just a neat car. I mean, I think if we do if you do a top ten ranking of most memorable, you know, uh, uh, paint schemes or and car looks or whatever in dirt late mile racing, that bazooka car is going to get in there. And 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 that's one of like that was when he was with GVS team, right? And and where the GVS team down there in in Louisiana was with Joel Hedrick. I mean, that was like a that was a before its time team, like professional wise and just the look they had. Uh, the T-shirt sales they would do with the trailer on the road. I mean, just just the way that whole deal was uh, was kind of kind of run uh, by Joel Hedrick. I mean, it was it it, it kind of it took it to another level, you know. And then they had the best driver, you know, when a, you know the guy like that was so um, you know tearing up the dirt. Dirt late model circuit at that point. I mean, he was definitely he was the elder statesman kind of already. He was up like in his 40s at that point. But man, there was nobody had more experience than him and was going to be tough to beat. And, and you know, they got a they got a great driver to run that car. And, and it was pretty neat to see uh, Carson Ferguson have the bring the bazooka car out, you know, for he ended up crashing, unfortunately, at the World 100 this year. But that was kind of special, too, because Carson Ferguson, his uh, he works his the shop he works out of is at Jeff Smith's house there in North Carolina and Freddie Smith, you know, he had been living, you know, ever since he retired. I mean, really for um, ever since he started racing for Clayton Christenberry back in those late nineties, uh, he was working, he was living at Clayton Christenberry's farm at a house on the farm there in Knoxville, t- outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, and he stayed there with his wife who, uh, of Naomi of 58 years, they, they were married. Um, they, uh, they live there until I think it was like two years ago, you know, their health wasn't as, as good. And, and, and so they moved back to, um, to North Carolina to be close to, um, to, to Jeff Smith. And so he kind of, you know, like, you know, take care of them if they have any problems. And, um, and so that was, uh, you know, just, to, to, to come back to North Carolina and, um, you know, he, he's, he's a, he's, a, he's an icon of the sport. There's no doubt about it. There's no other way to, to put it. And, um, and, and he's impacted. So like you say, he impacted a lot of people. And I talked to Ronnie Stuckey, you know, black diamond, uh, 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 chassis builder last night. And, and Ronnie's really always really good with stories and stuff. And he worked uh, for he, his first job as a national crew guy was with the GVS team uh, back in 1993. And, and when, uh, when Freddie was there, And like Ronnie says, the first, you know, like it was like right after he started, they won the dirt track world championship. And man, imagine being like a young kid uh, at Ronnie's age then and coming out on the national tour and and immediately you're winning the national, you know, you're winning the dirt track world championship at Pennsboro. And and he remembers uh, like Freddie saying to him, hey, don't, don't, this is going to happen every time you race. You're not going to always win every big race. And uh and and ronnie also mentioned how freddie really helped i mean he really brought along so many uh crew guys you know he kind of cultivated them and and uh, i mean gary winger was one too you know like he worked for him with Christenberry from 2000 to 2003 and um and, and the guys just wanted to work for for freddie too that's that's what ronnie said i mean he treated him well 
Uh, he was just a, a good guy. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's hard to keep crew guys in, in dirt late model racing and short track racing in general. And, and Freddie, he knew how to do it because he, and he, he just, he, he was a, a teacher too, you know, especially when he had these younger guys uh, with him when he was an experienced, uh, you know, veteran. Thomas, you interviewed him probably a handful, hundreds of times. What was it like just interviewing the Southern gentleman? You knew that you were going to have to ask some really, probably had to get some follow-up questions in to really get at what you were trying to get to. He was a little reserved um, back when he was racing. And maybe you can attribute part of that to just, you know, a racer with his game face on, and it takes a little while to ease out of it after a race. Uh, I've known a lot of football coaches that were like that. You, you can't talk to them right after the game. They won't give you anything. But you get them out and – in public somewhere or, or just away from that uh, environment and to give you some of the best quotes you've ever had. Um, I did, last time I talked to Freddie was a couple of years ago. I uh, worked on a piece for Speedway Illustrated for a couple of years called Where It All Started. And it was talking with guys about their very first race cars. And I posted the the, the printout of the, uh, the PDF of, of that particular little bit I did with him. And it's just a few graphs, but it talks about his first <laughs> race car. And, uh, he said he started out with a 53 Ford that he got out of a junkyard and he put the roll kids in all by himself. And he told his dad he wanted to race. His dad said, you won't do it. And then he went out and did it. Uh, and, you know, once he started building the car, his dad said, okay, I'll, I'll build your motor. So he built him a 223 cubic inch six cylinder motor to go in it. And he told him to go to the track there in Shelby, North Carolina, and just ride around in the back. And he said, dad, that ain't racing. He said, yeah, but you need to learn. Freddie paid no mind to that whatsoever. Went out there and was charging to the front. Guy in front of him lost the wheel and the, car, the, the wheel's laying there in the middle of the track. Freddie runs over it and blows the radiator out of the car. And, uh, but he said his dad was tickled to death. And it turned out to, turned out he knew what he was doing trying to get in the front because he said he only ran eight races that year, but he won four of them. So he started out good and only got better. And it's a shame that there's probably not more video than there is out there of him doing his thing back in the day because, you know, he never rubbed on people. He, he never leaned on anybody, got them squirrely. I mean, if he couldn't pass you clean, he just didn't want to do it. And it's so it was so interesting to watch Jeff in his prime when he was winning Carolina Clash stuff all the time because um, it was like watching the same guy all over again. Uh, you know, Jeff didn't rub anybody up. I might've seen him get mad once and it was well-deserved that <laughs> he got a little bent out of shape that particular time. But, you know, he really, Jeff was really cut from the same cloth as his dad. Uh, and I always thought it was one of the coolest things in the world to go to a race and see Freddie there just because it's like, okay, Jeff's going to be especially tough today because he wants to look good in front of his dad, but he's also got his dad giving him a few tips here and there. And, you know, as great a driver as Jeff's been in his career, who couldn't use a little help from somebody like Freddie? Um, you know, the, the Mount Rushmore thing, I agree with y'all completely on that. Uh, it's just kind of a shame that more people out there, I guess anybody 60 and younger probably never saw him in his prime. Um, but so so I think he maybe gets kind of undervalued a little bit. Uh, although he's certainly getting his due respect here today. Uh, but it's a shame he wasn't winning more when there was – more streaming video available, like, you know, stuff like flow race and things like that for people to just look at this guy and go, golly moly, this guy's good. He just, you know, Billy Moyer's smooth. They call Bobby Pierce smooth operator and all that. Freddie Smith was probably smoother than anybody. And you didn't see him bring torn up race cars back to the, to the, to the trailer or the holler at the end of the night at some point. And he just didn't tear stuff up. He, he ran clean, fair, and hard as he could without getting everybody else in, involved in, you know, him drive. He didn't drive over his head. So, and that, that, that kept a lot of people on the road because he didn't tear their race cars up either. They might tear it up on their own, but he didn't do it. Yeah. And you might, you bring up a good point. That's a great story, by the way, of, you know, him when he first got started, that's uh we don't get to hear that kind of stuff on this you know, I've never heard anything like that. So that's pretty impressive with Freddie Smith. And it just shows Kovac like, there was no video of him, so that's why I kind of just use like that Babe Ruth. Like it was always just word of mouth with Freddie Smith because he was before like the streaming days. He was before the dirt on dirt, you know, days. Obviously, we have his dream win for Greg Stevens in 1994. But you talked to him a few times. I think you had to do a story on him 
uh, for his 25-year anniversary of the first Dirt Late Model Dream. You didn't get to interview him that many times, but the few times you did, it was a pleasure and it was a treat to interview him. Yeah, well, the first time I totally remember uh, interviewing him was back in 1997 at the Pennsboro. uh, The first only time I ever went to Pennsboro, I went there for the Dirt Track World Championship that year. And and that was when Marshall Green won the the champion uh, the the DTWC and and second and Freddie finished second. Uh, I was covering it for Area Auto Racing News then. I, I did late model racing here and there, so I mean I didn't do that many, but um, obviously I knew who Freddie Smith was uh, just from being in racing. You you, you couldn't he, with all the races he was winning at that point. He had just won obviously the dream, the the biggest pain uh, late model race at that point, and uh, and he. He was like, like Thomas said, he wasn't like this guy. It wasn't the colorful, uh, fast talker or anything when you go and interview him, but he was that Southern gentleman. Again, he gave respect to Marshall Green for winning that race. He, he wasn't, I, I think there was a point in that race. I, I think that Freddie almost passed him, um, and, but he wasn't able quite to get it. You know, like I, th- I think that Marshall maybe, you know, didn't, you know, I'm not sure if they came together, but he, he wasn't able to get by him, which was tough anyway at, at Pennsboro. Um, but there was no like, well, you know, he blocked me or he did this or anything that he just he's accepted uh, his second place finish. And, and and that story I did with him back in 2019, you know, I just went back to kind of, re, you know, rehash it a little bit. I read it, read it over and uh, he had a lot of good. I got to talk to him for probably an hour, I think, on the phone that time. I mean, he started. That, that and, and again, like Thomas said, away from that racetrack, it was a it was a different story, you know. Like he spoke a lot more than I remember when I talked to him after that race in 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 '97, and uh, you know went on for a long time. I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I wasn't even able to use in the story because I, I just went back to like my original like the the transcri- transcription. And I'm like, man, there's still a lot of stuff I hadn't used. Um, and he, and he did speak about how if he ever hit anybody, he always said, I didn't do that on purpose. That's not the way I was raised to race. I was not going to go knock over, knock out anybody to, to win a race. And, and when I talked to Gary Winger uh, about his years with, with, um, with, uh, with Freddie and, and Gary pointed out something too, it was him and Jimmy Cabral were, uh, were the crew guys for, for Freddie at that point. And, and, and Gary's like, you know what, we, if we had to do a lot of work on his car, it was because he demolished a car. He got caught up in some wreck and just demolished it. And we had to build a new one because he was not bringing cars back to the, to the trailer after the race uh, beat up, you know, he, he, you didn't have to beat body panels back together or fix decks and stuff like that on his car because he just wasn't getting in the, in the incidents. He was, he had a great way of staying out of trouble. Uh, and that was, you know, kind of like a, you know, a, uh, a, a sixth sense for him, you know, to be able to not get in, um, you know, getting wrecks and stuff like that. Obviously he had wrecks, I'm sure in his career, pretty good ones, I'm sure. But uh, uh, typically he was able to avoid it and stay out of trouble. And, and, that, and that's how you win races too. You got to be there at the end. We'll go back to Thomas here quick. What was just his like legacy that he's going to leave to the Carolinas we had, you know, Carson Ferguson with the bazooka car. Clay Knight had a lot of great words to say about him. Uh, Chris Ferguson's always said good things about him, talked about him a whole bunch when I've interviewed him. Uh, I know Chris Ferguson always talks about his L.A. gear car, which is another famous one as well in the dirt lay model uh, folklore of just race cars. But what what is he going to leave as impact to the Carolinas? Well, he—if we had just the Mount Rushmore for for North and South Carolina, he'd be the—he'd be probably the first and only one who deserved to be up there when you talk about dirt drivers, and and then we could have a real good discussion about everybody else. Um, it was interesting. I, I was reading something the other day. I'd forgotten that he had been teammates with Jack Pennington for a time um, on the CNC boiler with the CNC boiler car back in the day. This is before wedge cars even. Um, so that he goes way back. Uh, I can't really think of a lot of dirt guys even before him in the Carolinas. He was just, he was the guy and there weren't a lot of, I think there were more asphalt tracks around earlier than there are now. Um, but he was just that guy that, you know, if you saw, if you saw him coming into pit gate, it was like, 
all right, everybody else is racing for second. It's just it's just that <laughs> way. If if he could get by you without running over you, you were going to be playing for second or third place money. And you know he had to have been a, a a great asset to some of these team owners that he drove for because he won some some of those races he won back in the day. That was a lot of daggone money for back then. You know you convert that to twenty twenty three dollars and it's it's pretty comparable to what some of these guys are winning now. I mean he did that and he didn't tear the car up. So he won big time money, didn't tear the car up, never gave you a problem, trained his crew guys to make them better. Um, you know, and, and even for being a quieter guy, uh, at times, I, you never got the sense that he was unapproachable. Um, you could go up and ask him anything. And uh, d- depending on how much of his game face he already had on at that point, uh, you 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 get a good answer, or he may get back to you later on. Um, he he told me when I talked to him a couple of years ago that it, it was one year he he didn't remember what year it was, but he had moved up from that class he started out in and, and began running in a hobby car, and he won forty nine races one year, and <laughs> you know even with way more dirt tracks open back in the day, if you could run Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's still a hell of an accomplishment to win forty nine times. Um, and uh, it's, I'm glad his, his dad didn't dissuade him from following the dream that he wanted to pursue. He, he said, dad, dad, his dad told him, if you're going to do it, do it now because it'll get you off the highway. So that might have been some life-saving advice too. So uh, you talk about a guy making the right decision and running with it. it Franny Smith was that guy. He just knew right away that, hey, I want to do this. I can make something out of it. And just the impact he's left in the Carolinas, the impact he's, you know, left with Gary Winger uh, and several others we'll hear stories about, just the impact he's left in the sport in general, even for a guy like in the Midwest, knowing so much about uh, the Southern gentleman. He was also pretty nice go back to car owners too, as Thomas said, because he really wasn't going to damage anything. He wasn't going to push the limits. He wasn't going to try to, you know, push the envelope, as other people would say. Uh, of course, you have a nice story there too of one of his former car owners saying exactly that. Yeah, I talked to Clayton Christenberry, who he drove for, you know, through the late 90s into the 2000s and uh, from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. You know, he owned a trucking company then. Uh, and Clayton, he was 82 years old now. And, and uh, he said he was like, I had Freddie Smith driving for me and it was, we didn't have to pay for anything. He said, it wasn't like, you know, it, it, it sounded like he actually did do a good job of, uh, you know, they were actually able to make some money back in the day because he said, Freddie was such a, the, the big name of the sport at that time and so well-respected. He said, everybody was giving us everything, all the manufacturers. And we were getting to, we had the sponsors we need and, and the, basically the race team, ran itself, you know, uh, financially at that point, um, just because of who Freddie Smith was. And, and then he, then on top of that, he doesn't, he doesn't wreck the cars, you know, he's not hard on the equipment. So, and he's winning races. So it, it all just kind of worked out perfectly. And, and Clayton, that was one thing that struck me about what Clayton said. He goes, yeah, we didn't, everybody was giving stuff to us because they like, they wanted to give Freddie stuff. They wanted to help him. And, and then Freddie also, um, uh, was became I think I mentioned it already that he he lived on the, on the farm there at Clayton Christenberry's farm for you know like for probably 25 years I guess you know all through like the late 90s until like the last couple of years when he moved back and and those two Clayton and Freddie were just you know they were best friends and 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 that's one thing that Jeff Smith told me uh, about uh, those two at uh, Clayton he actually came to the hospital. Uh, last Saturday, uh, this past Saturday, to see Freddie. You know, Freddie wasn't, you know, uh, uh, you know, alert at that point, and you know, he had been, you know, starting to fail there, uh, as he had gotten some pneumonia too, with, with um, on top of having leukemia, uh, and and he weren't, they weren't able to talk. But um, with Clayton, before he left, you know, he 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 told Jeff, he goes, "That's my, that was my best friend. That's my best friend right there." And, I thought that was, uh, you know, what, what accommodated the car owner. They came together as car owner driver. And then, you know, a, a quarter century later, they're still best friends. Uh, you know, a lot of times it doesn't happen like that with car owners and drivers. Uh, but this two, these two, they were, they were really close and kind of reflects on how, on the kind of 
kind of person Freddie was too, to, to, to have a car owner who still is so uh, enamored with him all these years later and, and is going to miss him so much. I mean, that, uh, Clayton told me, he's like, I wish I could, I'm 82. I can't remember everything, all these dates and things like that. But uh, I know that he's my best friend. We had some great times, you know, out there, they would go on the road and they would always stop and eat dinner and stuff together and a lot I, I guess that's what I think another thing I, I think Ronnie Stuckey told me that that Freddie was always out on, he wasn't a guy that was just going to eat at the racetrack or eat at the he had to make his stops at the restaurants when he was going they had to go to the Cracker Barrel they had to go find some restaurant they knew where all the restaurants were around every racetrack so um, you know but I you know Clayton pointed that out too where like they always would uh, you know when they were on the road you know, they were eating well that just speaks volumes to Freddie Smith on and off the racetrack. Just people just showering him us with good stories, uh, memories. Uh, we want to wish thoughts and prayers to his wife, Naomi, and his son, Jeff, and the rest of the Smith family. We really, truly lost a great legend in our sport over this past weekend on Saturday night. Uh, Freddie Smith, who uh, died uh, with a short battle of leukemia. Just our thoughts and prayers to everybody in that family. Um, of course, Freddie Smith made a lot of headlines, guys, with the Dirt Track World Championship, uh, the 1983, 85, 91, 93, and 1998, the only five-time uh, Dirt Track World Champion winner. Freddie Smith, of course, he's going to be made, he's made headlines the week of the Dirt Track World Championship as well. Uh, Kyle McFadden, let's just hear your professional uh, opinion. What are you looking forward to? We're going to the Big E. It's not Pinsboro, which obviously Freddie was so good at, but it's still the Dirt Track World Championship. It's still a top three race in our sport. Uh, what are you thinking, and what do you got uh, cooking up for us this weekend, and what's your thoughts on the big the big race at the Big E? Yeah, well, the time has come, right? Ever since, you know, PRI last year, I'll never forget when that news dropped. I was, I was on the show floor when they made that announcement, and, um, well, I had – learned days and in, in the days prior of, of what was happening. And, uh, but just to see it come alive then and to now be in the days leading into the dirt track world championship to where we have obviously that highly anticipated big four where Ricky Thornton juniors, 1000 point lead is now nothing. <laughs> it's a four way tie, you know, going in the last race, best man wins. And, um, I just, uh, I, I, I think that um, if there's any driver that I want to be in, in that four, it's Hudson O'Neill and that Rocket One team. You know, they're taking that same car back from the World 100. Uh, Mark Richards said they haven't touched it since Victory Lane. Like they haven't touched it. Obviously, you know, they're they're going to. Uh, get it race ready for this week. But like, you know, they're bringing that same piece back in Hudson last week, you know, picked up a, uh, that $23,000 victory at Tri-County down in North Carolina on flow night. I was there for that too. Wrote a little feature on, on them and, and uh, just, just how the stars I feel like are, are really aligning for that rocket one team. But of course, you know, you can't talk about you can't talk about any of those championship scenarios without mentioning Ricky Thornton Jr. or at least keeping him as, you know, the guy to beat. Is this his championship to lose? I mean, yeah. I mean, he's won what, twenty-three features this year and no other driver has come close on the Lucas Oil Tour. So um it's just um I think that you know, all four of those drivers, Devin Moran, Jonathan Davenport, Hudson O'Neill, Ricky Thornton Jr., you know, they're going to be in the top five, all four of them in the final laps. I mean, it's uh, – I've seen how NASCAR, even though I am not outwardly a fan of it, I'm not, um, I will say, like, NASCAR and what they've done in their championship four at Phoenix Raceway every year – the champion has won the race. Like you have to win the race. And so, and not only that, but usually it's come down at least like in the NASCAR world where their top four drivers are usually one, two, three, four, if not in the top four, if not in the top 10. So, uh, but that winner 
you have to win the race to win the championship. And so I'm expecting the same exact thing on Saturday. And so it's going to be fun to watch. Like, don't get me wrong. Like you can say like whatever you want about the format. And that's coming from me who has said just about every possible thing imaginable about the format. It's going to be fun to watch. And, and if you're a dirt late model fan, you, you, you have to watch on Saturday. Cause it's, I mean, it's like nothing we've ever seen before, you know? So um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. So, yeah. Yeah. Just the buzz at Pittsburgh are those final laps too, as well. McFadden, just all the people talking about a heartbreak city for Brandon Overton. And then uh, Devin Moran throwing the buzzer beater Hail Mary to get into the final four as we head to the Eldora, but it's this week. Kovac, you looking forward to it, buddy? I get to see you at Eldora again. It's like, this is my fifth time going this year. Uh, looking forward to it as well. And we got we got Scott Bloomquist. He's making his return as well at the Big E. Of course, he might be bigger news than the Final Four by the end of the weekend. You just never know. Yeah, well, he he feels that he wouldn't he wouldn't be going if he didn't feel like he could uh, potentially win. He feels good physically. He says, um, driving for Devin Jones uh, 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 Racing. He's gonna you know guy from Florida, Devin. Uh, Jones is from Florida. Um, he's raced before. He hasn't raced in, in recent years, but he raced the uh, Bloomquist cars in the past. So kind of hooking up with him to, to, to put a deal together um, to run. And, and, and it'll be obviously everybody, every time Bloomquist goes to Eldora, something he, he's, he's in the, in the mix somewhere. Like a, he, he gets a crowd rise sometime during the weekend. And uh, you know, number one, let's make sure Scott gets there on time. You know, let's, let's make sure he, you know, he, he's there. He's not rolling in like when hot laps are starting on Friday. I mean, the cars can't go in the infield until Friday morning, uh, the late models, because modifieds are going to be in there on Thursday, uh, you know, occupying the infield and they have to clean. I mean, this, that, this is, I mean, as a little sidebar here, you know, yeah, that's going to be a little logistics there with all the uh, support divisions running and hopefully no rain comes on Thursday and throws the modified, uh, qualifying off because man, I don't, it's going to be a mess with cars going in and out and late models having to come in. And let's hope that's no rain, stay away. But uh, Bloomquist, so uh, as long as he, as long as he can get there on time and you know get adjusted, it's it's just it is just going to be one monumental you know challenge for him. I mean, these guys have been racing all year long, and he's his only racing this year has been you know, a, a pretty short stint there that one part of a night in the big frog motorsports car at Volusia back in January. Uh, you, know, you could, he obviously has plenty of years and is under his belt and he knows how to drive a race car, but uh, there's going to be some, you know, getting used to the race car again and getting used to driving and, 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 ho- and he's got to hope that he, with his physical, you know, situation. He's got to hope that his, you know, his leg doesn't go numb again and not being able to feel. He's got other things to overcome. Hope the track isn't rough. And he said, like, if that track's rough, I might be in trouble because my shoulder still isn't no, very, no. it still stills rough and it might, might make shake the hell out of him. And, and will he, I mean, he, these, and these young kids too. How about that? He has to go up against some of these. If that racetrack is, with an outside like it was back at the world and Hudson and Bobby Pierce and Thornton and all these guys can get up there and, and wheel it. Can Scott wheel it like that? Can he get up there and do it? Or can, you know, he he's hoping for that nice slick moves, you know, middle, middle groove deal. So um, it'll be interesting just to see. I'm sure everybody will be watching Scott Bloomquist. And if he would end it up, uh, you know, overshadowing the top four, that would be one heck of a story. All right, Kovac. We saw him at the world. He had that nice tan. Got a lady next to him. I think he's. I think he's primed for a good weekend, don't you think? Come on. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, man, he's feeling good. <laughs> All right, and then you said you're going with Ricky Thornton Jr. I know your article. You had him coming out on top. Just real quick. Yeah, that's where I'm, I'm going to go. I'm staying with Ricky Thornton Jr. I just feel, man. I I I don't want a picture of scenario that Ricky oh, Thornton yeah, Jr. doesn't either. win this. I just don't like he is so if they would have all come in like or within 200 points or something of each other or, or something, you know, pretty close. Like one guy won eight races, one guy won six, one guy won seven, one guy, you know, like. But Ricky Thornton Jr. has more wins combined than, than all the other three guys combined. 
He's been so dominant. He has 41 top five finishes and 51 races. He doesn't even have a finish from sixth to 10th all year on the Lucas Oil Series, which is kind of a little kind of statistical oddity that it, that you never had one in between there. It's either top five or outside the top 10. Uh, and he still is like over 500 points ahead of second place, 1,000 points ahead of fourth. I mean, that is just too good of a year to not be a champion. And, and, and I feel like even I know the other three guys – if they happen to win it, which is you know very quite possible within one race deal, I, I think they all know that they you know they're I don't know so it, they, it's not going to feel like they won the championship in the normal year. I mean, they're everyone is so ingrained uh, with the regular way of doing a championship over a whole season. It's going to feel I think it'll feel weird for those guys if they're able to kind of overcome Ricky and and Ricky's season doesn't end with that championship trophy just kind of be weird so i'm thinking ricky and he's been so good everywhere i think he'll win it he's been good everywhere he goes so i I think he'll figure it out this weekend yeah rtj trying to capture his first ever lucas oil title obviously with some uh new format they're all gonna have the orange spoilers and orange numbers so james essex can see them while they're racing he doesn't get confused on those final 10 laps because we know james can get excited I think he's getting a little older. His, son, his glasses might not get up all the way when he's looking like this. So uh, they're helping James out. Uh, Thomas, I'm kind of excited. What are your uh, final thoughts for the dirt track as we head to it? Uh, it's going to be a good weekend. New racetrack for the Dirt Track World Championship at Eldora Speedway. I always ask my colleagues that I work with what they think about it. So I'm kind of excited what your answer is going to be. Uh, I think it'll put on better racing uh, for one thing. Um, it would be interesting to see Bloomquist be a factor. And, you know, he, I think there's a strong possibility he could go out and win a heat race and then come up light. (laughs) (laughs) Seen that happen more than a few times. Um, That would add some some even more intrigue to it. I don't, I don't like this, you know, winner take all deal uh, for Lucas versus the way I do for NASCAR, because at least they've got eight races to lay, you know, to get it all done or 10 races to get it all done. You know, that, that seems a little more fair and, and, this honestly would kind of feel like a travesty to me if Thornton didn't win it. Um, but as far as the race goes, it's it really interests me because it's one of those rare occasions where you get all the big dogs together in one place. And it'd be interesting to see what kind of impact, um, you know, if anybody's due for a breakthrough win at Eldora, it's Madden. Uh, he hadn't had that great of a year, but I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility for him to be – that guy that they're having to deal with at the end. Um, also looking forward to seeing some head to head between, between Ricky Thornton and Bobby Pierce. Um, and right. It really got my attention that, you know, Bobby would go down South last week at Brasstown on the far end of North Carolina from me and run second at a, you know, those, those tracks when he ran for Dunn Benson in 2018, those were, um, that, that's part of why they had such a difficult time. Um, with Bobby was he had just never seen any of those tracks before. Well, <laughs> fast forward five years and, you know, and a, and a new chassis and nothing seems to phase this guy. So if he can run that well at a place like that, then go back to Eldora where he knows he runs well. Um, and I'm so impressed with the way he's driven this year. You know, he doesn't have to bang the, bang the cushion if he doesn't want to. He doesn't have to overdrive the car. And, you know, y'all discussed this some last week. He seems so much more mature that he doesn't have to push the issue uh, to win a race. They're just, you know, he, it seems like he's more um, strategy minded. Like if this attack doesn't work, I'm going to regroup and try another thing rather than just, you know, tearing the back end off the car, scraping it off the concrete. Um, so I'm really looking forward to watching those two guys go head to head. And then the wild card and all that would be a guy who runs neither one of those tours who's won at Eldora, and that's Dale McDowell. And he always seems to show up really strong at Eldora and in 100-lap races. And I would not even count that guy out as, you know, maybe the non-touring dark horse to to pull this thing off Saturday night. Yeah, a lot of storylines, as we mentioned here in just the last yeah. 10 minutes. You got the Final Four battle between Ricky Thornton Jr., Hudson O'Neill, Jonathan Davenport, and Devin Moran. You got the return of Scott Bloomquist. And then, of course, you got Bobby Pierce versus Ricky Thornton Jr., another head-to-head battle between those two, duking it out for driver of the year. Both guys combined nearly have 70 feature victories. It's going to be a fun one at the Big E. 
for the Dirt Track World Championship this weekend, live Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the late models, Friday heat races, then Saturday, the B mains, and the 100-lap finale. Looking forward to that. All right, guys, we finished the show uh, with one more thing. So, Thomas, I'm sure you watched it. It's just anything that you have a final thought. It could be about, you know, Freddie Smith or something else that has caught your eye. But I'll, I will go with Kyle McFadden first for one more thing, and then we'll go around the room. Yeah, so I was uh, made my debut in the Deep South over the weekend and uh, went to Why Not Motorsports Park and uh, really enjoyed my time there for sure. Ashton Wenger picked up that big win on Saturday, 15 grand, 15th of the year for him. Wrote uh, a pretty lengthy feature on that, so go check it out on the website. And, um, you know, just like reading – Kevin's story there of Gary Winger and, and his connection with Freddie, like putting myself back to that moment of like Gary, um, just like I was off on the side, like watching him like go through his phone. And obviously you're not thinking anything of it then, but it's just like, oh man, like, like he received that news then, like right as I was like standing there, like, you know, like that was crazy too. So just like a side note, um, there, but, um, yeah, just enjoyed my time down in the South at why not. And, uh, Ashton Winger won't be one of those drivers heading out to Eldora this weekend. He'll actually be staying down in the South going all tech trying for 28,000 to win, um, in the crate race down there. So, uh, big weekend for Ashton. And, uh, I think he's up to number 11 in our poll now. So good times for him. And, uh, also, um, you know, thinking of, of all of those friends and family um, who, are, who are saddened and um, just like remembering the life of Freddie Smith. Yeah, Ashton Winger with a great year here in 2023. I actually voted him, Ashton. You always give me crap. I actually voted you number nine this week, so you can blame everybody else not voting you in the top ten. But he's knocking at the door. Another chance to prove himself this weekend in a, you know, a big-time crate race down there at Alltech, $28,000 to win. My one more thing is we can officially do it, Kovac. We can take Cherry Picker off his name uh, with Bobby Pierce as he's unofficially, officially the World of Outlaws Series champion. He posted uh, this past weekend that he will be the champion, his first-ever national championship. He's won plenty of summer nationals. He's won plenty of crown jewels, but somehow people still find a way to hate on the smooth operator uh, the Oakwood, Illinois driver, picking up his uh, first national championship. Now, this is Bobby Pierce math, or maybe the Pierce family math, Kovac. Has he officially claimed the championship? I know we got three more races, so you're a former World of Outlaws uh, PR guy, so you did the math on this. Is he the champion? But that's what my one more thing is. Well, he has to be there. He has to show up, and he has okay. to uh, you know, at least start the race. Get the, at, least, at least show up for him. I think he's, what, 156 points ahead? And he can only make up, like, about – 50 points a race or something, you know, a little bit more, something in that area. So, um, you know, like he, he'd have to not be there to win it. He, he's going to win the world of outlaws championship, which is uh pretty, pretty, uh, pretty impressive. First time. It doesn't happen very often where a guy goes out the first time on the national tour with, with the outlaws and, and wins a title and, uh, and he's pulling it off. I think that's a, that's another step up in the, you know, on that resume there for Bobby. All right, uh, Kovac, what do you got for us? And we'll finish off with Thomas. God, yeah, you messed me up here with like I, my, I was gonna mention Bobby Pierce, but uh, I, I, I just wanted like everyone to know, just like make sure that they uh, keep checking Dirt on Dirt this week. We still have some more stories about Freddie Smith coming up. I had the Gary Winger one last night, and uh, you know we talked about him in Fast Talk this week also. And I, I'm compiling, I'm getting a story together, compiling all like uh, little anecdotes and some you know, interesting stories and thoughts from a lot of, a lot of bunch of people that have uh, known him. And also I'm going to have, I'm going to do a story on Jeff Smith, just, uh, just on Jeff, you know, his, how he considered uh, uh, Freddie, his hero, racing hero. And now he's really just uh, amazed by that outpouring of support and, and, and great and unbelievable comments that he's received since Freddie's passing. And um, I mean, it's been a hard, it's been definitely a hard week for, for Jeff Smith. Let's, let's remember that in the family. He, he's the only child of uh, Freddie and Naomi and, 
you know, and Naomi had had some health problems lately in the hospital too. And, and then Freddie had, had really not, you know, until, I mean, this, this really did happen quick. I mean, like Jeff said, it, this wasn't a long-term uh, situation. It just kind of was diagnosed with leukemia, you know, a few weeks ago and, and, um, and it, and it kind of went downhill fast, much faster than anyone expected. And, um, and so like Jeff's kind of coming to grips with all that also. And, uh, so, you know, you know, hearts out to him and, uh, and his family and, uh, you know, and, and Freddie's wife, Naomi also. Also go to flow racing, me and Kovac go in depth detail, just the legacy of Freddie Smith. Uh, it's a pretty good video, couple of old highlight videos of him as well that we had uh, in our archive. Uh, Thomas finished us off with one more thing, bud. All right. I'm going to segue into my one more thing with one last Freddie Smith anecdote. When I started covering racing out here, we had two tracks. One was a three X mile dirt track that got bought out and turned into a cemetery. I call that the home of the quick and the dead. And then we had the asphalt track where they actually ran some NASCAR grand national races. And so I cover both of those. And back in 78, Dale Earnhardt came and ran three races in late model sportsman. And the first of those, he blew his motor and practiced on Sunday morning, I think. And somebody else gave him their car to drive. He started at the back with no practice and won the race. That was an impressive thing. But, it, you know, as, as and that was the year before he started running Cup full time. So it was right there. He was about to, about to take off. As standoffish as Earnhardt Sr. could be, I could see him just immediately just dropping all of that, you know, defensive guard and anything like that if Freddie Smith were walk, were to just appear in his sight line because Freddie Smith was that big a deal. Earnhardt would have like <laughs> almost genuflected, you know, uh, that kind of deal. So that, that, that memory of Earnhardt from Fayetteville ties in with Freddie a little bit, Freddie having won there. And then my one last thing is steel block bandits on Saturday night at Fayetteville. Um, they finish out their season. They've had 13 races and had 12 different winners. And they're running this weekend for 10,000 to win Saturday night. It's their cash money 100 in memory of Ricky Sullivan from out of Wilmington, North Carolina. And um, that race always turns out to be wild because those guys are normally just running, you know, 35, 40 lappers or something. And 100 laps of field was difficult, number one. It's really hard on tires, number two. It's not the track it used to be when it was a wide open four tenths with no wall all the way around it. Uh, now you got three eights with a wall and it's a little more progressive banking and stuff like that. So that should be a really entertaining show. And to, to, uh, I think the points deal is kind of decided, but it still should be a good race because all those guys will want to come and put on a good show and try to run for that kind of money. So if you can't make it to Eldora and you're not watching or, you know, take your phone and watch it while you're in the stands at Fayetteville if you're down this way. It's right by I-95. I mean, you could throw a rock from I-95 and hit Fayetteville Motor Speedway. So, uh, Come on down if you're not going somewhere else. Big weekend in Fayetteville. Big weekend at Eldora. And a big weekend at Alltech. Uh, this weekend, we'll have it, some of it live at Flow Racing. Obviously, every lap for the Dirt Track World Championship. Plenty of content. Be sure to keep your browsers locked into dirtondirt.com and Flow Racing with some more Freddie Smith memories and just the re- recap of the weekend coming up. Uh, I'm Derek Kessinger. Until next week, this is the Dirt Reporters. Thank you for watching.